Welcome back to the Full Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Gillian McMichael. We are now in season four of the podcast and I'm excited to speak with guests this season who have experienced some form of discovery or to learn from an expert in their field who can touch on a fascinating topic. And today I'm thrilled to be speaking with someone who will help you discover the meaning behind your dreams. Have you ever wondered why we dream or where dreams come from and what they could possibly mean? I certainly have. So the truth is, when it comes to dreams, most of us are operating in the dark. We might not know the answers to these questions, but I believe dreams hold the answers to some of life's most challenging questions. Joining me today, I have Ian Wallace. Ian is a dream psychologist who appears regularly on television and is the best-selling author of two books, The Top 100 Dreams, The Dreams That We All Have and What They Really Mean, and The Complete A to Z Dictionary of Dreams, Be Your Own Dream Expert. So we're about to figure out how to make sense of dreams or use what we've learned in our waking lives. And if you've messaged me on Instagram with a question for Ian, I hope we'll answer these for you today. Enjoy the episode. So welcome, Ian, to our conversation. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm so excited, actually. Um, I am really excited about our conversation. Um, So before we get into all of that, though, I thought it might be quite good for our listeners just to find out just a little bit more about you and and what you do. Now, you've had quite a varied career, but you are now a dream psychologist. So I wondered if you could share a little bit of a potted history and how you got into being a dream psychologist in the first place. Well, although I have had a, a varied career, which some people might put down to having a very short attention span. <laughs> um, the reality is I've, I've always been a psychologist and always been fascinated by dreams. So uh, I went to university, I studied psychology, became a qualified psychologist uh, many years ago. But the reason for doing that, the reason for studying psychology was I was always fascinated by dreams. And my very earliest memory is a dream. And ever since that point, when I was about maybe two and a half years old, I've been absolutely fascinated by dreams and dreaming. So all the things that I have been doing, the the various work that I've been doing and professions that I've engaged in, have been a reflection of that because one of the things that dreams show us is that human life is very complex and it's often very high consequence. So I was very curious and I was drawn to any sort of profession or job that involved high complexity and high consequences and in doing that it really engages with the things that dreams tell us of who you are what you need what you believe so we we do tend to think that we are one identity julian the sort of thing you'd see in a passport or on a corporate badge but the reality is that dreams show us we have multiple identities not in a bad way not in a paranoid or schizophrenic way but we do have these multiple identities and we need to engage with them all and, and understand them and be comfortable and be at home with them and use all their potential. So that's probably why I ended up doing a number of different jobs because I was interested in what it felt like to be in that situation and to inhabit that situation. 
Gosh, I'm fascinated by dreams just on a personal basis as a whole. So I'm really, as I said, looking forward to this conversation today to learn more about your expertise and what you can share with us. But just you mentioned there that you said that, you know, your first dream was around two and a half. I mean, when do we start dreaming? Just curious, when do we start dreaming? Well, like a, a lot of stuff around dreaming, Julian, there are all sorts of perspectives and opinions and old wives' tales uh, and just general nonsense. The babies definitely dream, so we know that. Uh, but there is evidence that during the third trimester, uh, a fetus is starting to dream. So we start really, really early. Uh, and the interesting thing about children's dreams, particularly babies' dreams, is that virtually all of a baby's sleep is dreaming. When we become adults, we spend maybe about a quarter of our sleep, probably about two hours per night, dreaming stabilizes out around about puberty in teenage years but one of the things that dreaming does it's very very important in how your brain functions particularly with new experiences the fundamental function of dreaming is to process emotions so you can imagine as a, a young baby everything is new so that's why yes, babies all the, all the time like yeah like that all absolutely the time. they're mm -hmm. just drinking everything in so that's when we we start dreaming when we are born and possibly a little bit before them. But in terms of that recall memory, because you'd said that you recalled that two and a half, is that average or does it depend? Is everybody unique? Everyone's unique, uh, although we do have similar dream patterns. So I said that the, the fundamental function of dreaming is to process our emotions. There are lots of misconceptions that dreaming is a very passive thing, that we kind of lie there comatose and somehow we tune into this etheric vibration and we get messages from beyond, which is complete nonsense. So what we actually do with dreaming is it's always tied to emotions. So at the time I was two and a half and I was having this dream, it was a fever dream. So I had some sort of fever or childhood illness and that had a, a big emotional impact on me. So it was like kind of the first illness I could remember. And so that was triggering these really intense, memorable dream episodes. But the thing that made it more memorable is, because I'd probably been dreaming before that, but I had woken up in this terrible feverish sweat, which had awoken my parents and my father came through to see what all the fuss was about. And I dreamt that I was standing on this bridge watching this huge steam train hurtling towards me, spitting fire and smoke. And I was trying to relate to this to my dad with my two and a half year old vocabulary. And uh, he was saying, it's just a dream, Ian. It's just a dream. You're fine, it's just a dream. And my father wasn't uh, what would be called a classically educated man. He was a miner, but he had this deep understanding of patterns, as you would expect from someone who spent their whole life underground looking at patterns. And then, because that's what two-year-olds do, they continually ask why. Why am I dreaming? What is a dream? And so on. So that whole episode was really memorable, but the thing that was even more memorable was what my father did then, just really intuitively. Uh, he said to me, um, let's go back to sleep, Ian, and in the morning I'll show you what a dream is. Uh, and even at that age, I just thought, he's just fobbing me off. <laughs> it's just, it's just, in a really kind, paternal way, he's, he's having none of this. Uh, but the mine that he worked in uh, was called the Francis Colliery. It's in Kirkcaldy, uh, or the Dubby, as he called it, because it was full of puddles and water. It was always leaking. On his journey down to it from our house, he had to cross a bridge, this old rickety wooden bridge across a railway. Uh, and this next morning, it was a Saturday, and he wasn't working. So he, he took me by the hand, and we walked into this railway bridge. And he said, well, just stand here, Ian, and I'll show you what a dream is. 
and he knew that one of the shunting engines from the coal yards would be coming along soon. So we stood on this bridge and five, ten minutes later, we could see this plume of smoke in the distance heading towards mm -hmm. us. And it got closer and closer and I got more and more excited. And then all of a sudden it was underneath us and we were enveloped in this shower of steam and sparks and smoke. And then it passed us and headed off into the distance. And because it was such a visceral emotional experience, I guess that's why I remember it and I connected mm. with the dream. Thank you for sharing that. That's really fascinating. So you mentioned at the very beginning of the conversation that you said human life is complex, but also this high consequence. I get the complexity, but what do you mean by the high consequence? Human beings have got this uh, very interesting relationship with what is usually known as risk. So we mm -hmm. can be daredevils or we can be risk averse. And I spend quite a lot of time working with corporations, with organizations and businesses and individuals within them. And they have a particular view of risk. So you always have a risk manager and a risk register in a business. But where I always try and, and guide my clients to is not to rethink about so much as of risk, but to think of consequence. So you can do something that may appear risky, but it's not really risky. It's more about the consequence of what's going to happen and how you're going to manage that and do that. So as human beings, we do this all the time, but we become so familiar with working out consequence that we, we tend to ignore it or neglect it a little bit. So it can be something um, quite simple. It can be something you might be in a relationship with someone where you feel you have to do all the work, but you don't want to share that information with that person because you feel it will damage the relationship and they might not like you anymore. So we have all these things that, 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 that go through it. We tend to work in a situation where we can often imagine the worst. So it can be something like, my boss has asked me to do this thing that I think is unethical, but I need to do it because if I don't do that, then I'll lose my job and my spouse won't respect me and I won't be able to pay my mortgage and all these things will happen and I'll end up homeless living in a cardboard box someplace. Whereas it might be a bit easier to consider the consequences of what will happen if you just say no to your boss. So as humans, we are constantly living in a high consequence environment, but it's not, it's like dreaming again, Julian. It's not a passive thing there. We can actively engage with those consequences and make our life happen rather than feeling that life is happening to us. And mm. because if you feel that your life is happening to you, it makes you very, very risk averse and very consequence averse. So consequently, um, you may not realize the potential that you could realize. Sure. And does that then show up in your dreams? Could that show up in your dreams, those risk aversion tendencies? Yeah, absolutely. It happens all the time in dreams. Dreams are often situations, uh, particularly if you don't attend to them, you might have quite scary dreams, quite nightmarish dreams. And all these terrible things seem to be happening to you in the dream. So again, if, if you are not taking the information from your dreams and acting out in waking life, the consequence of that in your dreams is they tend to get a bit more nightmarish and a bit scarier because again another misconception as i alluded to is that dreams happen to you but the reality is you happen to the dream and you create everything that you experience in the dream and because you're creating everything you experience then you have the option in the dream to choose what happens in the dream and to do something with it so those consequences do show up in the dream so for example say that you want to change your life in some way and it might be a big change it might be a small change 
But very commonly with that one, you will have a dream where your opportunities seem to be getting less and less. And very often it's something like exploring a tunnel or being in some really confined space and you're trying to get through somewhere and things are closing in on you and closing in on you. And the reality in waking life is that there is something that you are doing or not doing that is shutting down your opportunities and you're becoming very blinkered in how you're approaching your life. So that definitely does show up in dreams and it shows up in the dreams where you're in the classic scary ones where you're being chased or you're drowning. Mm or you're falling off something. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That's really fascinating. Thank you for that. So when you said at the beginning that, you know, perhaps, I, well, I think you said when we dream, we are kind of processing our emotions. Can you just explain a little bit more about that for our listeners? What are you meaning? One of the main ways that I, I work with dreams, rather than doing the woo-woo, pointy hat, swirly cape stuff, <laughs> is to attend to language, particularly linguistic imagery. Mm. And the really interesting thing about that is that dreams are not just... A stream of imagery they're also a flow of emotions and we can see this happening in waking life is if you are angry with me Gillian and you say Ian I'm angry with you obviously you're just a bit disappointed that's fine but if you say Ian I'm absolutely fuming at you I think oh now you're on fire or you might say Ian working with you is like banging my head off a brick wall so we use emotions in waking life the main way that we express emotions in waking life is through linguistic imagery so that comes up in our dreams that we are actually what the dream image is is a portrayal of an emotional state that we are processing and navigating another part of it there was some fascinating work done in the university of california san francisco the medical school in the 1970s by a guy called benjamin Liebe. and this work has been verified by a number of other people since like george lakoff and stanislas Dehan, that 98 percent of human awareness happens unconsciously so even as you and I are chatting and our listeners are listening and viewers are viewing, we're only consciously aware of 2% of what's going on, probably much less. What Benjamin showed was that in one minute, an average human being can consciously process 40 pieces of information, so four zero, but unconsciously they process between 10 and 11 million pieces of information. So we are constantly absorb that during the day experientially, mainly emotionally, but also spiritually. And we use our dreams to process that 98% of emotional and spiritual life that we are not consciously processing mentally or physically. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I do a lot of meditation teaching and yeah, it kind of rings true to some of the, the principles that sit behind that kind of sense of not being conscious in our waking state at all, just kind of going about our business, but not being kind of fully conscious of what, how we do things. That's really fascinating. So if somebody was to come to you and to seek out your expertise, what would they come for? They come for a variety of reasons, Gillian. Um, some people come because it's probably the, the most natural and organic method of personal development, because the dream is the ultimate self-portrait. It's who you really are, and it's a fantastic, powerful, vivid reflection of who you really are who you have been, and most importantly, of who you can become. So uh, a lot of people do that. Uh, people become come because they have trouble dreaming or troubled sleeping. They, you know, they may have a recurring dream or they may have nightmares. They come because they want to work with their dreams uh, to do things that is usually thought of being really esoteric, the sort of thing you have to go to an ashram or a dojo to do, which is to do something like lucid dreaming or guided visioning. So all those sorts of things, just in that really liminal area between waking and not being awake, 
just in that area, there's a, a huge potential to be explored. Fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. So obviously there's lots of common dreams, such as teeth falling out, being naked in public, you know, falling as you've described and all sorts of different things. Is there any kind of meaning behind these things? You know, you read a dream book and I think I've read those over the years, but I don't know how true or not they are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, the, the reason I'm, I'm laughing, Julia, I've just been down this, I've explored this avenue so many times. I have written some uh, dream books myself, and which obviously I, I think are quite clear and honest perspective on dreaming. Again, there are fascinating parallels between working with dreams and waking life and working with your waking life. So people uh, say to me things like, you know, do dreams have a meaning? And I immediately go to that kind of coaching thing and think, well, does your life have a meaning? And that's the sort of question that I might ask if someone came to me and, and asked that. So I, I said that the, the way that I work with dreams is to work with language and linguistic imagery. So the main way that as human beings that we convey meaning is through language and through our emotions. And particularly our emotions, what gives meaning to something is how we feel about it, how we are emotionally. There's another function of dreaming, which is to consolidate short-term memory into long-term memory. So to take everyday experiences, but make them into memorable experiences. And that's why emotions are engaged in that process as well, because the things that give us meaning in life are the emotional things that we can engage with and become part of us. So. When people say, do, do dreams have meaning? So I wrote a dream dictionary about uh, eight years ago, which has just got explanations of de or definitions of these emotional images. The reason I wrote that was I, I've been chatting with my agent about my next book, as you do. It all sounds very grand, but we're, we're just sitting in a cafe going, what are you going to do next? And in that, I had this idea of let's make this a bit more democratic. Let's share a way that everyone can analyze their own dreams and then I can get on and do other stuff so it's quite selfish that way and uh, we thought oh, we'll call it be your own dream expert so I thought it's a great idea and I thought I'm just going you know just write you know some instructions you know the following and at that point I started to realize that there was no modern definitions of these images that we find in dreams so then I had this terrible sinking realization that someone would have to write a dream dictionary and then like all terrible sinking realizations you realize that person is you so that was in response to what is the most popular dream dictionary that you will find online on so many sites. And it's based on a book by a, a guy called Gustavus Heinemann Miller. Uh, it was written in 1899. So it came out at the same time as Freud's The Interpretation of Dreams, but couldn't be further apart. So Gustavus was a shopkeeper in Minnesota. And what he did was gather together some old folklore, which was nonsense. And he put it in this book called 10,000 Dreams Interpreted. And it's a swizz because there's only about 4,000 definitions in there. And it's full of things like, if you dream of a lame horse, then a week on Thursday, someone will steal your purse. Like, yeah, I'm not quite sure that's going to work. So it's full of complete nonsense, but it is out of copyright now. It has been for some time. So everyone uses it on their websites. And so all these things like Dream Cloud and Dream Moods and all the various other ones are full of things which may have some connection to a meaning, but usually it's not particularly helpful because one of my catchphrases is a dream is just a dream until you put it into action. So the idea of having just very succinct, clear definitions of the linguistic image is so you can turn it into a question. So for example, you might dream of a, 
a ladder. You're trying to get up a ladder or down one or the rungs are broken or it's a bit wobbly. But you have, we have to think, right, what, what does a ladder do? It elevates you, it gets you higher. It's a series of steps. So the question from that, if someone's dreaming of a ladder, you might say to them, and again, and again this is from a, very much from a coaching perspective, you might say, what steps are you going to take to reach the level that you want to in your career? So that might seem quite disconnected from dreaming about a ladder, but when you think about it, well, that's, that's framed the question. It's created a conversation space. And then the dreamer or the client is going to come back and do that. So that was a very long answer to a very short question there, Julia. No, but I think that makes, I, I get that. that. I think that makes perfect sense. And I'm sure our listeners will be. I, and actually, I really like that statement. A dream is just a dream until you put it into action. And I think I think that was going to lead on to my next question around the context of the dream. And it goes back to, I think, what you said earlier on is that, you know, is there meaning in the dreams? Well, is there meaning in your life? And so I suppose what I'm getting from what you're saying is that actually you help people make meaning so that they can understand it for their in their lives yeah or, or create the space that uh, i'll create so, the space for yeah, you so i'm mm-hmm. not making meaning for them but what we're doing is creating a space where meaning will emerge yeah. for them uh, and the best person to work with the dream or understand the meaning of the dream is the person themselves yeah but we do tend to take dreams too literally if, mm-hmm. if you dream that you're falling off a ladder it doesn't mean the next day you will fall off a ladder yeah it means that you may be worried about some hiccup in your career progression mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So tell me about visions and dreams. Are they the same thing? Because you mentioned before about visions and then you mentioned dreams. So I've had visions. I also dream. So I'm curious around if they're different, they're coming from a different place or they're similar. So so they are fundamentally the same thing. And Mm -hmm. everyone dreams. So we we all dream. A lot of people say, oh, I don't dream. Um, A lot of men say that. I don't dream. I don't have any dreams. But everyone dreams. We, We have about five sleep episodes per night about 90 minutes each and we will have a dream episode in each one of those mm. so we spend a 12th of our life dreaming and doing two hours a night but sometimes uh, we can't always remember them though right sometimes we yeah. remember them sometimes we don't yeah so we will come back i'll just answer this bit and then we'll come back to visions and dreams mm. so because we are using dreaming as a way of consolidating memory it's like trying to press play and record at the same time mm. also there is what's called a threshold effect, is that you'll find this if you're doing one thing in one space and then you move across some sort of threshold, like a doorway, to another space, you'll tend to forget what was happening in the previous space because you're now in a new space. And you probably find this in your coaching work when you shift spaces with your clients. So when you wake from a dream and you're assaulted by all your senses and what's happening in your room where you're sleeping, then you'll tend to forget the dream. If you want to remember a dream, all you have to do is remember three words, and those are will, still, and fill. So tonight, when you lay your head on your pillow and you go to sleep, you say to yourself, tonight I will remember a dream or part of a dream. So that sets the intention. And then when you wake up, whenever that is, in the morning or the middle of the night, you lie completely still. You don't chat to anyone, you don't look at the time, you don't even wiggle your toes. Because as soon as you start to physically move, your body thinks it's time to wake up and you'll start to lose dream imagery. So you lie there completely still, and as you do so, you'll get some dream imagery coming back to you, usually just like little snapshots. But what you do then is fill in the spaces between those dream images, and you'll get a dream narrative emerging. So will still and fill. And you know, it might not work tonight, it might not work tomorrow night, but if you keep doing that mm. uh, within a week to 10 days, then you'll start to remember your dreams. And once you get into that habit, it becomes quite straightforward. 
Hmm, I might try that tonight. So will, still and fill. So yes. set the intention, lie still and then fill in the gaps. Yes. Nice one. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, so dreams and visions. So it does come from the same place. So we, we spoke about this liminal state and there is a process you can engage in called lucid dreaming. Uh, some people call it uh, the ability to control your dreams, but you can't really control a dream in the same way that you can't really control your unconscious. You can navigate it and engage with it. And again, that's a consequential process like we mentioned before. So in lucid dreaming, you become aware that you are dreaming and you can make choices in the dream. So that's coming into it when you're asleep and dreaming, but you can come into it from the other way, which is more hypnotic or visionary, where you really calm yourself down and you calm your critical conscious mind. And in doing that, you can take an image, which will be a meaningful emotional image, and you can start to play around with it. So for example, if you're working with the image of a tree, you can make the tree bigger or smaller, or brighter mm. green or darker green, or closer or further away. So it's exactly the same thing you would do in a lucid dream episode. Yeah, and do you find for me personally that my visions tend to come more in my meditation practice than perhaps in my evening dream state yeah so so with that but you can in doing that any anything you can do to quieten your conscious mind mm. so this is the sort of thing that mihahi c sent mihahi and stephen copper have described as the flow state yeah. when everything else just seems to disappear that's what you're doing you're shutting down that that critical analytical part of your mind yeah. and just letting that flow through yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. Thank you. One of the things that I did do before this conversation is I re reached out to my kind of um, Instagram followers and said, look, I'm having this conversation and does anybody have any questions? So, and you talked about imagery and language, but I'm more keen to talk about imagery if that's okay, because this question relates to that. So one of my followers said that they dream about the ocean. Yes. And what could you tell her that might be of interest around that sense of dreaming about the ocean it's always very interesting to have more than one dream image because mm -hmm. a lot of the richness comes not just from the images themselves but from the connections between them and the context they're in but uh, certainly dreaming about the ocean so we're talking about language and we hear a lot of emotional imagery in the idioms and metaphors that we use quite unconsciously in our daily language so we have idioms like i'm at a low ebb I'm pouring my heart out, I'm in floods of tears. So all these sorts of things. So anything to do with water is to do with your emotional life. And if you're dreaming about, your, about the ocean, then there's something really expansive and quite oceanic in your emotional life. It's, it's something to do with big emotions uh, that seem to have their own rhythms and their own tides, uh, their own patterns, and understanding that. So very often when people dream about the ocean, they might also dream about vessels navigating that ocean so if you dream about a ship then you are wondering how to navigate a particular emotional situation in waking life if it's a big cruise liner you might just be cruising through it if it's a little kayak then you might be paddling your way on your own if you're in a submarine which is quite a, a common one then you're trying to do this without anyone noticing or seeing you're trying to do it quite stealthily so any dreams about the ocean are about your emotional life very nice. Thank you for answering that question. I'm sure our listener will be really interested. Might even want to find out more from you. But that's lovely. So what's your take then or what's your perspective on deciphering dreams? In what sort of way, Gillian? Well, meaning, you know, are they 
I mean, obviously, you've just connected that kind of the ocean there to maybe the the emotions or the depth of the emotion that might be going on for that person at that time. So I'm wondering, you know, do you believe that our dreams are telling us something about our bigger, the bigger picture, about our wider lives, as you've described? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's not just a belief. It's actual scientific psychological fact that our, I said that our dreams are the ultimate self-portrait, the ultimate selfie. Uh, and what we're doing in dreams, we're processing things that are really meaningful and important to us. Uh, and one of the reasons that people get so challenged with working with dreams is that they don't talk in a literal language. They talk in this language of emotional images. And we can be dreaming about things that may have seemed quite trivial to other people, but of high consequence in our personal life. Or we can dream about things that are consequential to everyone. So in terms of that, it's not just a belief thing anymore. You know, it has been shown. It was shown in the 90s by Professor Mark Soames that dreams don't happen to us. We happen to dreams. The main areas of the brain, and again, this is doing this neurologically rather than trying to do it psychically or, or trying to do it in, from any particular spiritual perspective. The three areas of the brain that are involved in dreaming are the prefrontal cortex, the ventromesial forebrain, uh, and the brainstem, the pontine brainstem. So the brainstem is all about fundamental emotions. The prefrontal cortex is about creating stories, making sense of things, making meaning from things. And the ventral mesial forebrain is about understanding how we fulfill our needs. So from that perspective, when we're working with a dream, we are creating a story that helps us understand how we can fulfill some of our fundamental needs. And the other part of this, Gillian, is really interesting, is that a lot of people, a lot of people who work in a so-called spiritual fashion with dreams. And a lot of scientists try and work from the outside in. They try and guess what's happening inside someone's skull. But the way I'm working, and maybe a more effective way, is to work from the inside out and see how all these images that we have in dreams, how they show up in waking life. So we can see so many things happening in our cultural life that are intimately connected to the images we have in dreams. And there are many examples of this as well that people have used their dream as a source of huge inspiration like paul mccartney's one you know he literally dreamt up yesterday albert einstein literally dreamt up e equals mc squared and his theory of relativity so in doing that it's not uh, you know people can be very dismissive of the dreaming process but i think that is neglecting uh, the huge value you can get you know it's sometimes much easier to think about not, not as working with dreams but just actually understanding the emotional images that you express mm -hmm. to yourself. Yeah, because that's what that was going to be my next question about how can we use our dreams to serve us in our waking lives? And so it sounds like there's quite a nice segue into how we can use that information effectively, potentially. Yeah, so the way to do it is to, as Carol Jung always emphasised, mm -hmm. is to always work with the image. So, yeah. so just to have that image and think, you know, what is... What is the fundamental? So if the image is the ocean, then you can start to think about things like um, you can ask yourself questions around it. So you can say um, at a simple level, you might ask like a coaching question. It was like, what's my relationship with the ocean? And then you can start to deepen it and think, right, what does my inner ocean look like? How big is it? How do I navigate it? Is it stormy? Is it calm? How deep is it? And then you can take that to the next stage and go, how deep am I emotionally involved in a particular situation in waking life? Am I out of sight of the shore? Do I have any references? Am I just getting tossed around in the ocean? Have I got a path? Am I underway? Am I motivating myself? Have I got a course to steer? Have I got a North Star? 
So all these things come from just that five-letter word, ocean. You can start to, to work with all those parts of it. So we said that the emotion is about emotional depth and vastness and being able to navigate that. So anything like that, whatever the image is. So you might um, dream of a tiger. So what does a tiger do? A tiger is quite secretive. Um, it's also very fierce. And so you start to think, right, so where might I need to be fiercer in waking life? Where might I need to assert myself? Where do I need to stand back? Where do I think I am in the corporate jungle? What am I hunting? What am I pursuing? What am I trying to, to do with that? We dream lots about creatures, and it's really interesting that the word creature and creativity come from the same Latin root of creare. So if you're dreaming of creatures like that, you think, what am I trying to create? What are my creative pursuits? So the whole point of dreaming is that our dreams are answering questions that we're not even aware that we're asking. So mm -hmm. we need to get to the other side of that and start getting all those questions out. So that, that's one of the main things that I do when working with a dream just to ask lots of questions based on an image. Amazing. So that kind of real deeper exploration, I really, that fascinates me. I love that idea of having that conversation around that. I think it's very, very interesting. So one of our listeners asked, can you manifest your dreams? So, so obviously in real life, you can manifest if you wish and you believe in that concept. But she was asking, could I manifest my late grandmother into my dream tonight? Yes, you can. So I, I think I frowned slightly when you mentioned manifesting there because, again, it's like with um, working with dreams, there are various beliefs and ways of doing that mm -hmm. uh, and some of them are more effective than other ones. But in terms of choosing what imagery appears in your dreams, uh, you can do that. Uh, you have to persevere with it. It's like doing the will still and fill thing. It, it may not happen immediately, but you just have to stick with it. So again, when you lay your head on your pillow, just get that image of your grandmother there. And again, don't have it as a passive static image, but make it dynamic. You know, make her speak to you, make her laugh, make her smile, move her around, make her further away, make her closer in just different clothes, dress her different ways. And in doing that, what you're doing is you are engaging your unconscious and helping it to understand that this is an emotional, meaningful image. And at some point, it will appear in your dreams to do that. The other way to do it is through lucid dreaming, as we, we mentioned. There are a, a number of ways to get into lucid dreaming, but in a lucid dream, you can choose to have your grandmother show up mm -hmm. and have a conversation with her. So I would imagine that could give people a lot of great comfort if it's around a loved one, for example. But is there any connection? I mean, I don't know what your belief system is around this, around that kind of spiritual connection with that, around spirituality and that sense of connecting in pure consciousness? Yeah, again, so I tend to be um, very pragmatic about this, Gillian. Mm -hmm. And the, it's not to say that I am not open to all mm -hmm. sorts of uh, unusual things happening. And, and there are situations where you think, oh, you know, that, that is something, uh, some parapsychological phenomenon has absolutely happened here. But in, in terms of doing that, then I, I think people want to connect with someone, say a, a loved one that's no longer with us. But the reality of that is that there might be some spiritual, psychical connection. But I think it's far healthier and far more fulfilling to realize that what you're doing when you invite that person into your dreams or they appear in your dreams is you're actually connecting with the qualities that made them meaningful to you. Uh, and also the other things that loved ones, particularly parents and grandparents, can often see things in us that we can't see ourselves. 
So, so usually that happening in a dream is alerting you to the some opportunity in your waking life where you can express a quality that they could see in you, but you couldn't. And usually something you associate with them. So maybe compassion or maybe, you know, they were very good at putting people at their ease and so on. So often can be more fulfilling to think that what you're actually doing is you are embodying the quality that meant so much to you and them. And by embodying that quality, they are continuing to live on within mm. you in your waking life. Mm, nice. Thank you for answering that question. So what about night terrors and reoccurring dreams like that? Yeah, so again, there's um, a number of things that all get smooshed together. So there's a thing called night terrors, which happen in relatively young children as their brains are growing and forming. It's usually more terrifying for the parent or the guardian because uh, you come through and you find your child just like bolt upright in bed or thrashing around. And that is that they, and they usually have little memory of it. So they're usually fine and usually you just sit with them and just gently guide them back to sleep. There's a thing called sleep paralysis, which is different, which is more commonly found in adults. And in sleep paralysis, your mind wakes up before your body does. And it usually happens when you have been having very poor quality sleep and your sleep patterns have been disturbed. It's quite common in shift workers who are moving from day to back to night shift. So sleep paralysis, there are a number of ways to mitigate that and get beyond it. Recurring dreams. So you said earlier on that when you dream, you are sending yourself messages. It's like letting a whole lot of letters pile up behind your letterbox on your doormat. If you don't attend to some messages that you're sending yourself, then it's like in um, Harry Potter, just getting all sorts of owl mail suddenly through into the cupboard underneath the stairs. You will get absolutely swamped by it. Exactly the same thing happens. What will happen in your dream, if you don't attend to it, then you'll try and get your own attention. So you'll start making the dreams more vivid. You'll make them louder. You'll make them scarier until you actually get your attention and you put your dream into action and waking life. Makes perfect sense. Amazing. So have you got any advice to any individuals in terms of how they can maybe process their dreams? Is a dream journal helpful? You know, what, what's the best way to help somebody process? So the, the best ways are, are just actually to be open to what's happening in your dreams. So the, the, the most common word I hear in front of dreams are, are things like bizarre or weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people say, oh, I had this really bizarre dream. I think, well, you know, it's not bizarre. It's just, you know, it's a neurological function. So not to think of them as weird or bizarre, but just you sending information to yourself that you can't access in any other way. And by being open to those images. So people can tend to take dream analysis very seriously. You get lots of furrowed brows and people saying, oh, Jung said this and Freud said that and Adler said this and all these competing theories. Dreams are really informative but they're also hugely entertaining. So just have that aspect of it as well. Just think, I'm going to be open to this, and this is just me, this is my mind just exploring and navigating my huge potential uh, and just thinking about what I might do. Because people tend to think that dreams are all about past experiences, but the reality is that we are using all those past experiences to project forward into the future. So dreams are also exploring our future expectations and understanding various scenarios for our waking life. So just be open to them, be playful with them. So even though it's the scariest dream that you've ever had and there's some huge monster coming in and chasing you around and your teeth are falling out, you've got no clothes and you can't find a toilet and you're late for an exam and you're falling <laughs> and your car's gone out of control and everything's happening at once, just take one image and just play around with it. 
So if it's mm -hmm. a, you know, a huge monster, do the same thing. You know, just play around with dimensions, uh, give the monster a name, chat to the monster, you know, like maybe not you know, on the bus or in the office, but just have that, <laughs> that, that inner dialogue with that monster. Mm -hmm. Because what that monster is saying, there's some monster opportunity that you have coming up in your waking life. Mm -hmm. But just mm -hmm. now you're a bit of a rough diamond, so we have to, to work around that and just tame the monster a bit and then use that primal power to get you to where you want to be. So just be mm -hmm. open to your dreams and play around with them is the, the main thing that I would suggest. Amazing. So just an, another question, this is just more for me personally, actually. I sometimes have dreams where I might get so into them, and I don't know how you describe this, but so into them that when you like you wake up, you go to the toilet, whatever, you want to kind of jump back into the dream because you want to know the, figure out where you're going and what's going on. In, do you get a lot of people with this asking those types of questions? Yeah, so I've got a number of clients who I work with who, who do this, and, and, and usually it's, it's that thing where they say, oh, I was having this amazing dream, and then I woke up and I was so disappointed because yeah. all these things were happening in the dream that were really lovely. So, the way to work with that, again, there, there is a, a physicality to dreaming. So I suggested doing Will Still and Phil that you lie completely still. If you want to get back into a dream, uh, particularly if you've got up and had a wander around the house and got back to bed, it's always really good to go back to exactly the same position that you woke up in. So as you wake up from a dream, just remember exactly your body position and get back into that. And then you take the most emotional and meaningful image from the dream, or maybe two or three of them, and then you start to play around with them again. It's very good in a dream. It, it goes to some of the uh, the voice work that, that Jung did and people like Hal and Cedra Stone did, is just actually talk to the character in the dream. So you might be dreaming of a, a parent or a loved one, but if, if they're in there and you're playing around, they'll just actually start chatting to them. And one of the things that usually happens is you will, in doing that, you will fall asleep. And the dream will, it might not be exactly the same dream, but it will continue in another episode. Uh, and you can do also do something that is quite animistic, is that if it's not a person, but say it's an object or a place, then start talking to the object or a place. And this is more of a, like a native Indian thing, a Native American thing where everything has a spirit. So this is very spiritual. Yeah. It's the sort of thing you'd mm -hmm. find in a medicine wheel approach. But anything in a dream has an emotional and a spiritual aspect. Yeah. So you just need to talk to it sometimes and it will talk back to you in the dream. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I was just actually, I've just spent some time out in Arizona. It's a retreat actually quite close to a Native American place and uh, they had a medicine wheel and, you know, the idea was to to talk to it and it will reverberate back. It was a physical thing in, a, in our waking state. But I thought it's actually quite fascinating. So it's really interesting to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. It's lovely. And again, a lot of the, I've done quite a lot of work with Native Americans and mm. a lot of their culture comes from dreaming. And we see this all yeah. around the world, Jillian. We have the you know, Aboriginal mm -hmm. people have, have the dream time. And just about any breakthrough or understanding of human psychology has always originated in engaging with dreams and being curious about. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Fascinating. I've Honestly, I've loved this conversation. Thank you for sharing all what you have. Um, I have got one more final question for you, which is where can people learn more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, so I'm on the, the web at ianwallacedreams.com. I don't do a whole lot on social media these days. So the uh, the best place is yeah, emosdreams.com. There's heaps of information on there about dreams and working with dreams. You'll also find my books on there. There's a book called The, the Top 100 Dreams, which is, I'm going to be a shameless self-publicist here. Oh, please Jack. do, please do. So uh, this one is... 
Excellent. So, what's actually, this is even more self-publicising. This is the French version. It's in 14 languages now. It's the 100 most common dreams from around the world. So it's things like teeth falling out, falling, late for an appointment, missing a train. This one, this is the, this is the American version of the Dream Dictionary, which is not as nice as the UK version. But this is, this is what I meant about these. So you can see for each of these, these are just very, very short, succinct definitions. But the idea of these is to turn them into questions uh, using what I call the, the dream connection process, which is detailed at the start of the book. And this is the latest one that came out in January, which is Great. Decode Your Dreams. Decode Your Dreams by Ian Wallace. Amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so uh, listeners, you have lots of tips there in terms of where you can get hold of Ian and his book. And you can see that yes, and, as we were talking yeah. about. So that's what the dream means. Amazing. Lovely. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Ian, thank you so much. Honestly, it's been a great conversation, really insightful. um, And it's been lovely to hear your approach and how you support others and the work that you do. So thank you very much for chatting to me this afternoon. Well, my pleasure, Julian. Thank you so much. enjoyed that conversation with Ian and I've always been fascinated by dreams. I dream a lot and I do believe that the dream that we have may be giving us messages. That's my personal take on it. So I was delighted to explore with Ian how dreams actually work and what some of those meanings behind what we dream are all about. What struck me about our conversation today was a couple of things. A dream is just a dream until you put it into action. And I thought that was really fascinating because I suppose we can analyse our dreams. And as Ian described, there may be things going on in our personal or professional lives that are actually having an impact. And so when we do dream at night, then we're dreaming about the wider issues. And therefore, we can take action and turn things around in our wider lives. So I thought that was really fascinating. The other thing that I thought was interesting was will still fill. So for me, that sense of setting your intention before you go to sleep, meaning that if you want to remember your dreams, then set your intention. And then when you wake, instead of jumping to the loo or turning over in bed or whatever it might be doing, reaching for the phone to check what time it is, remain still in the moment. And then invite your mind to fill in the gaps. So will still fill. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. As I said, I certainly did. So now that you know the value in understanding our dreams, this is how it can serve you on your journey to come home to your true self. I look forward to speaking to you next time.